Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everyone, and once again, many thanks for joining us on what will be yet another fantastic podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. Available in paperback, ebook, and Kindle formats at Amazon.com. Also remember, Volume 6, 5, 4, and 3 are now in audiobook at iTunes, Audible, and Amazon. Please do make a purchase, for in so doing, you are helping us to continue producing this fine show. The question of the day is this. What do Forest Patrolman Paul Freeman and Davy Crockett have in common? As strange as this question may seem, this is exactly what my brother Kevin will answer in our Cryptids in the News and History and Other Oddities segment as we delve into what is touted to be one of the top 10 Bigfoot sightings of all time. Now, we've been getting a lot of entries into our autograph book contest, but it's not too late to enter. So contact us at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. And remember, you must answer the question, do you think Bigfoot is more human with animal characteristics or more animal with human characteristics. Good luck to all of you. And now, may I welcome my brother Kevin. Kevin, how you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing well, Bill. Super. I know you got some uh, really good material for us tonight, so let's just jump right into it, if you will. Yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. So, um, you know, as I was doing research, or as I do research each week, a while back, I came across in Outside Magazine the 10 most convincing Bigfoot sightings. And uh, I put that on my to-do list for a future podcast, and that future podcast is today. So, uh, of course, you know, the we're not going to go through all 10, but you would guess probably the most convincing Bigfoot sighting is the Patterson-Gimlin film, right? Yes. Back, yeah, of course, no surprise there. But another one comes from a gentleman by the name of Paul Freeman, who you mentioned in the title. And uh, Paul lived out in Washington State, uh, eastern Washington State, near where I used to live with my family. And on June 10th, 1982, Freeman reportedly sighted a Bigfoot near Walla Walla, Washington, which Walla Walla, in addition, in addition to having a cool name, is on the eastern part of the state, down towards the southern border with Oregon. Wow. Um, and when he had this sighting, he described it as being, the creature as being nearly eight feet tall and covered with reddish-brown body hair. Fantastic. Yeah, it's good stuff. And he also, he uh, saw a lot of Bigfoot tracks and he did plaster casts of the Bigfoot tracks back in 1982. And what's interesting is that he submitted these plaster casts 
uh, to some anthropologists, specifically to Jeff Meldrum of Idaho State University mm -hmm. and Grover Krantz of Washington State University. And they put into uh, uh, put in a considerable amount of time and resources into studying them. And they actually validated these uh, these tracks, these casting of tracks. And one of the big things that they said about them was that they actually had what are known as these dermal ridges or the ridges in the skin where, um, you know, if you go back, we won't get into it today, but if you go back to some of the uh, early sightings of Bigfoot, early in the 1900s at least, um, one of them where folks say the term Bigfoot was actually coined was in Humboldt, California, with a sighting by Jerry Crew in 1958. And he was criticized later because they, they thought that the, uh, when the experts looked at the castings of the tracks, they thought they were fake. So this is in contrast to that, where he actually submitted the castings to some anthropologist experts at two different universities, and they both came back and said, these things look real. That is remarkable. And certainly uh, Dr. Meldrum uh, is at the forefront and has been for many years uh, in collecting uh, casts in particular. And uh, I'm sure he's got quite a collection of uh, <clears throat> other Bigfoot uh, paraphernalia, for lack of a better word. But did exactly. you, uh, this uh, fellow Freeman, uh, did you say what his background was? What is what does he do? Well, they say in the write-up that he was a forest patrolman. Huh. So, you know, I guess he worked in the outdoors. And then later on, after I tell you about this next sighting, he became uh, more famous as, you know, the so-called, as a so-called Bigfoot hunter. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you about the next chapter in Paul Freeman's life. Okay. So that first sighting was in June of 1982. And then about 12 years later, uh, in 1994, he saw what he said was a family of Bigfoot in um, the, the mountains, uh, mountains called the Blue Mountains in eastern Oregon, which is just south of Walla Walla in Washington state, but on the Oregon side of the state line. And uh, this is the sighting that really got him onto the top 10 list in, uh, in Outside Magazine. Kev, you said so, the, the Blue Mountains are in Oregon? Yes. Are these, in, uh, are these like uh, uh, large mountains? Is this a really uh, 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 rigorous terrain to hike through? Well, very rural, and it's in, uh, in the Rockies there in eastern Oregon. Okay, so. Pretty desolate place as well. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so what's interesting in this account, right, in 12 years later in 1994, he took some video. You know, he took about five to seven minutes of video, and um, you can actually look at this video on YouTube, the original video clip, which I did. I don't know if you've seen it before, Bill? Uh, I haven't. Okay, well, it is super cool. So, you know, although the video is shaky, right, <laughs> we always laugh. Yeah, over. yeah. People say, oh, I don't know. You know, why was the guy shaking? You know, why, why was the video so shaky? Be meanwhile, he sees a couple of Bigfoot walk by, pretty close by. And it's a little grainy, but it's back in 1994. But when I looked at it and went through it a few times, I was like, this is really pretty cool video. Mm -hmm. Some of the coolest I've seen. Wow. Just incredible. 
Yeah, and in the video, which I encourage everyone to watch it, I'll put the link up on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. And you go in and you look at it and you actually do get the feel that there is more than one walking around. And um, he also did some additional video that you can find where he looked at the footprints and you see small footprints and larger footprints as well. But interestingly, all the footprints are pretty deep into the ground. Wow. You know how we always talk about that when you see the Bigfoot tracks, uh, especially the adult Bigfoot tracks, they, they're quite depressed into the ground. Yeah. And you're talking about something of immense weight i mean you know whether it's 400 pounds 800 pounds 1200 pounds if the ground conditions are right you're going to leave some type of imprint now this this fella what was he doing at the time he took this footage of this uh what we believe may be a family of bigfoot was he camping i'm not sure what he was doing but it's in broad daylight and it's in the forest you know so uh it's pretty rugged terrain where he is. You can you can see it, and you see all of a sudden he's looking. Well, he's looking for these trails because he thinks he's in the area, or he hears something, or something like that. And then he's looking off while he's walking, and you see this Bigfoot like walk by, not too far away, but it looks very clear. And uh, you know the experts who have looked at it since he originally uh, shared the recording you know, are pretty clear that it seems authentic. But, of course, they do say that it's rather grainy, the photo, and it is shaky, you know, like like we always <laughs> laugh about. But yeah, it looks he, pretty good, and then he sees it multiple times. Whereas, you know, some of these videos, you have like one glance of something, and uh, you don't really see anything else. And it does look like you see one, and then you see another one that's smaller, and then you see the other one again. And he goes up following them, which I give him big points for bravery. Um, and then he loses them while he's following them along. But he does see the, the physical evidence of them in footprints, and he videotapes that as well. That's just incredible. And you know what? Here we go with the experts again. Who are these experts examining what he's done and critiquing him? <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, really, Kev, you or I or any number of our listeners could look at the same uh, footage for ourselves and come up with some type of critique. Could we not? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and what's interesting is I did find also found some video footage of Paul when he was on, you know, the television show Good Morning America um, many years ago, right, when, when this was done. And uh, they actually sent an expert or two out to visit with him. And they have some of that interview, uh, both interviewing Paul and uh, a couple of other gentlemen. Uh, the, one, the one gentleman they interviewed, his name is Wes Summerlin. And Wes is kind of this, like, you know, gruffy... Or he appears to be this gruffy ranch hand kind of a guy. And uh, the one expert who has a suit and tie on says to him, well, you know, maybe it was a bear. And uh, Wes was pretty funny. He was like, you really think I mistook a bear for this? You know, <laughs> <laughs> the guy should have climbed out of the chair and wrapped him one in the kisser. Oh, well, they were actually standing outside, you know, near like these horses in eastern Washington. And he did make some kind of reference like, you know, if you keep saying stuff like this, Pat, this might get kind of ugly quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too, too bad there wasn't anybody there to instigate it. I would have liked to see that. <laughs> Careful, you might mess your suit up. 
<laughs> uh, that yeah, is so just, it's a great sighting and uh you know uh, again i'll put the link up and bill you should you should definitely take a look at this video and maybe we could talk more about it on another <clears throat> podcast after you get a chance to look at the video yeah there's no doubt you know and look i've said it before and i'll say it again today that I don't claim any expertise in this. I'm what you would call like a conscientious observer uh, in the field of Bigfoot. And I try to be a conduit for uh, information or putting information out there. There are many things that I haven't seen or heard. But as time goes on, there is no doubt in my mind whatsoever that there is a plethora of credible witnesses uh, including this fella Freeman, uh, including Dr. Meldrum. God bless him for doing everything that he's done. And everybody else out there who's heard howls, screaming, seen things, feces, footprints, tree breaks, tree structures. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And another thing that's interesting, you know, a lot of the, quote, experts say that Bigfoot is a nocturnal creature. Well, in all of the sightings uh, that I've logged in my many books now, and now this uh, footage by this fellow Freeman, I don't think I've come across a handful that occurred at night. Uh, in fact, probably 95% of them all occurred during daylight hours and most of them in fairly nice conditions. So, again, where do they come up with you have to hunt for a Bigfoot at night uh, is beyond me. I, I, I just don't understand it. Do you, you have any feelings on that, Kev? I mean, it certainly is better for setting the mood. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. It's like a spook show. You know, it's not good unless it's a full moon and it's dark and windy. And if you're in a graveyard, it's bonus. <laughs> yeah, throw in the graveyard and the lantern like the Mothman <laughs> encounter. Jeez, I couldn't believe when that Mothman thing started out, it was a handful of guys digging a grave. unbelievable yeah yeah awesome look out you almost chopped his head off watch the shovel (laughs) careful with the shovel now now that you know who paul freeman is okay what do you think the connection is to good old davy crockett well i i right off the bat i just have to say that both of them saw a bigfoot you are correct. All right. What do I, I win? I will send you an autographed <laughs> copy of the book that I do not have. <laughs> send me but, something uh, else. <laughs> so so Davy Crockett, I'm, I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes here talking about Davy, especially for our international listeners who, you know, may not have ever heard of Davy Crockett or may not know much of his history, but just a minute or two. So, you know, certainly if you're from Texas and a lot of our listeners are from Texas, then, you know, Davy Crockett is an important figure in Texas history. Um, and, you know, the, the his background is he was born in Tennessee and he left his home state after serving as a member of Congress when another individual was voted into his seat. 
And uh, Dan Davies famous for many different quotes, but this particular quote when he was voted out is uh, pretty spectacular. He says, you may all go to hell, but I'm going to Texas. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> nice. A very candid individual. <laughs> exactly. And, and when Davey left Tennessee and went to Texas, um, he uh, he really enjoyed Texas and he enjoyed Texas so much that he became an advocate for Texas uh, to break away from Mexico and become independent, because at that point in time, it was actually under Mexican rule. And of course, Crockett, he was most famous for dying while he defended the fort in San Antonio called the Alamo. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that. And uh, exactly. who else was there with him that day? There was a couple of notable. Yes, uh, yes, there were a couple of big bruisers with him, um, but I can't think of their name. But yeah. Crockett was, what's that? No, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I can't uh, off the top of my head either, but there was a lot of uh, uh, ruffians and outdoorsmen there that day that were really making a stand for what they believed in. Yeah, and by the way, Bill, you, you haven't seen the... Alamo Fort, have you? I have not. So, you know, the Alamo Fort, and, and I know I horse around a lot, and I'm certainly going to horse around here, to be clear. <laughs> but what I say about this is truthful. The The fort, the you know, original part of the fort is still standing, and it's in downtown San Antonio, you know, which is a, a city uh, in Texas. And what's interesting is... Um, People have seen like the image of the outline of the Alamo, but you don't think of it to be sitting with skyscrapers all around. It. But in fact, it is. It has very tall buildings all around it. And this original fort is there. And the part that I'm horsing around about is the first time you see this, you are absolutely shocked with how small and insignificant it is. Uh, and it leads me to a, a funny quip. Uh, the first time I saw it, I was in a taxi cab and I was down in San Antonio on business. And my taxi cab driver said, hey, you know, we're around the corner from the Alamo. Would you like to see it? And I said, absolutely. You know, let's drive by it. And first I was shocked because it was in the middle. We were in the middle of the city and we pulled up in front of it. And I said, that's it. And he said, "That's the number one reaction people have." <laughs> wow! Yeah, you it's, think you think you pulled up in front of a Taco Bell under renovation? I'm not. You know, that's a good description, Bill. I mean, it is small and unimpressive, other than the history. So, you know, that draws me back to what you were saying that you know, Crockett was uh, an avid outdoorsman and quite a tough guy in American history and certainly Texas history. And, you know, some of the things he's he's uh, uh, famous for is, you know, he's rumored to have killed a, a very large bear with a knife while he was only three years old. So, Whoa. you know, uh, I mean, I'm sure that's an exaggeration, but still. Uh... <laughs> That'll teach you to take my bottle. <laughs> <laughs> now, give me my teddy bear back. <laughs> so so one encounter, though, that I never heard about, about Davy Crockett, but I read about, uh, and, and I read about it, it's uh, written by a gentleman by the name of Matthew Monk on TexasHillCountry.com uh, in September 17th, 2018. And Matthew writes about uh, an encounter that Cro where Crockett met Bigfoot. 
And wow. it was during a time where he was traveling into the interior of Texas in what's close to a national forest that's now named for him. Crockett wrote in a letter to his brother-in-law about an encounter he had with a creature that was, quote, the shape and shade of a large ape man, unquote. Wow. So pretty interesting. Yeah. And he goes on to uh, describe a specimen much like many historical <laughs> and modern day Bigfoot sightings. Right. So super cool. Here you are. Kind of like the Bauman encounter with Teddy Roosevelt. Um, here you have, you know, Davy Crockett talking about a Bigfoot sighting. Now, this was uh, uh, secondhand information as uh, Crockett was interviewed. Is that what I'm getting? Here? Well, apparently he Crockett. No, Crockett saw it. And okay. He wrote a letter to his brother in law about the encounter. Ah, OK. OK. Yeah. So, you know. Pretty interesting. Now, <laughs> now think you get to of, the end of, of this story, and there's quite a big curveball. Okay. <laughs> and this reminds me of some of the crime dramas, you know, that we've all seen on television where, you know, the, uh, say the uh, prosecuting attorney has a witness on the stand, an expert witness, and, you know, you're like, oh, boy, they got this guy now. And then the witness goes off and does something or says something to make both the judge and the lawyers just shake their heads in disbelief. Right? Okay. So, so right. Davey, I'm kind of uh, waiting for this one. Go ahead. <laughs> Davey talks about this encounter. It sounds pretty cool. But then he goes on to talk about the fact that the beast spoke to him. Issuing a warning of the events that work would occur at the Alamo. <laughs> wow. So, uh, what's your take on this? You think you think this was all jive? I I think it's legit. Like I think he probably did write this, but I don't know if he was eating some exotic mushrooms down in Central Texas <laughs> oh when he God. saw the saw the creature because he, he you know he he he. Uh, Matthew writes about it that it told him to return from Texas to flee this fort and abandon this lost lost cause. And uh, and then he said, when I began to question this, the creature spread upon the wind like a morning steam swirls off of a frog pond. <laughs> wow. You know something? Uh, I mean, you know, listen, Kev, we don't know. If this, I, I cannot, I cannot bear the thought of Crockett uh, spinning this weird tale to his his brother-in-law. No, just I would does, agree with you there. We have no reason to think that Crockett would make something up based on his, you know, behavior through history. Um, I, maybe Bill, it wasn't a flesh and blood Bigfoot, right? Yeah, maybe I'm, I'm telling you, that's the way I'm rolling right now, brother. You took you took the thought right out of my head. I'm thinking maybe he had, maybe there is some legitimacy to this thing having appeared and being able to vocalize to him uh, a warning. Right, exactly. It's, I mean, we we for our new listeners, we always talk about the fact that we loosely describe uh, or we least loosely divide, sorry, a lot of these encounters into flesh and blood encounters, you know, encounters with the flesh and blood Bigfoot and other, you know, which is kind of uh, either demonic or or whatnot, you know, some type of ghost like creature. 
Yeah, now, I, I've had many, many people uh, say they overheard what they described as a conversation uh, going back and forth between Bigfoot. Uh, mm. There are some recordings out there that people have probably heard. I've heard a couple of them. Uh, I've had I had the Russian professor tell me it sounded like a Siberian dialect that he didn't know. Oh, that's uh, right, I remember that one. Yeah, and I've had a, a couple of people say that it sounded like placing an order in a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, but you know, n- no offense to my Chinese listeners out there, but you know, as an American. Uh, it's kind of like them listening to us where I'm just hearing, you know, you know, you don't know what you're hearing. And this yeah. is the description they gave of what they heard. But never, never, never have I ever heard such a thing as a guy like Crockett being spoken to evidently in plain English and being given a warning to call the whole thing off. And don't you know, we all know the end of the story, that he died. Yeah, I mean, six months later, he was massacred yeah. at, uh, at Alamo. Wow, that is just over-the-top so crazy. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, if he was going to get a warning from anyone or anything, it would have been about the Alamo. Yeah, and the fact that he would be alone, obviously, where he was and running into this thing that he described... Uh, and then to drop the bomb in the letter of this thing speaking <laughs> to him. Holy smokes. I mean, uh, we, we know that he wasn't going to get a warning about bears after he killed one with a knife when he was three years old. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. This guy. <laughs> this, you know, man, these dudes were tough as nails. And I, I, I don't know how they did what they did when they did it. But, uh, you know, it's like talking about Lewis and Clark. I mean, these guys were out there on the edge, risking life and limb. Uh, And Crockett was the same way. I mean, he was a frontiersman uh, to end all frontiersmen. And for him to pen something like that is just off the charts incredible. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Lewis and Clark, because I've been looking for some potential encounters that may have been documented by them when they were exploring the West. Because you would think... If, uh, you know, that if there was a chance of running into something, they would have run into it out there. Yeah. I haven't found anything yet, but stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned, folks, because if it's out there, we're going to dig the dirt to get it. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Well, that's incredible, Kev. Great, great stuff. Uh, Paul Freeman and Davy Crockett. Yeah, fantastic, man. I mean, you know, and again. With all the equipment around today, all of the infrared available, I can only imagine uh, how many uh, military uh, choppers are flying around around doing exercises in wilderness areas using FLIR, uh, night vision. I cannot believe that people aren't seeing these creatures out there. And on top of that, we have forestry people. We have GIs doing maneuvers. We have policemen. We have people of every walk in life uh, uh, talking forthrightly about what they have seen, and it's never good enough. You know what I'm saying, Kev? 
Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So, I mean, and again, a lot of it comes back to, Bill, I think, where, you know, some of these folks that might be the most credible witnesses are afraid to come forward. You know, like you use the military example. If you're one of our bravest and you're a soldier and you're flying, you know, a $10 million helicopter and you see something like this, I would imagine you're probably not going to put it in your report. Because, you know, there's a chance that that's the last time your commanding officer hands you the keys to that multi-million dollar vehicle. Yeah, know? it's just a crying shame. You know, it's just a yeah. crying shame that you can't speak honestly. There is such a stigma attached to these things that it's just uh, it boggles the mind. I mean, uh, how many times people say, please don't use my last name. Uh, yes. Don't tell anybody where I live. I don't want anybody coming around my neighborhood. You know, all of this stuff. And yeah. really, frankly, I can't blame them. No, no, I, I would never sit here and criticize them because, again, Bill, you asked me that probably 10 podcasts ago. If I saw one, what would I do? You know, and a big part of it is who's with you? Were you by yourself? What's the setting? And then, you know, what's on the table if you're discredited? Yeah, yeah. I told you, this is not a move for career advancement. So <laughs> Now, I do think, you know, in the modern day now where virtually every person walking around, whatever they're doing, they have a pretty high-resolution camera in their pocket, you know, in the form of a smartphone. So we should start to see a lot more documentation. Yeah, and of course, you're. Uh, we're making the presumption that just because you have smartphones, you're out in locations where you can get footage. Uh, well, yeah, but you could always take a picture or record a video, even if you don't have any signal. Yeah, so, no, that's you know. true. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. No, that's fantastic, Kev. All right then. Cool. So let me jump into this now. This report is just a tad more lengthy than my typical uh, report, but let me tell you something. Stay with me on this because you're not going to believe what happens in this account. And uh, this was brought to my attention by Hank Lassiter, a, for, a former resident of Nassau County right here on Long Island. Uh, and here is uh, Hank's story. I had spent 30 years of my life working for one of the departments in the city of New York. Once my retirement came to fruition, my wife and I decided to make a drastic move. Our home had escalated in value from $235,000 purchase price to well over $900,000, so we decided that it was time to move out into the country. On more than one occasion, we had seen some television footage of community gatherings and festivals in West Virginia. And we thought that this might be a good place for us to settle down and retirement. The two of us traveled down to Appalachia to have a look at the area for ourselves. For the most part, the people were very nice. However, there were still some losers who were hung up on the idea that Yankees were full of garbage and bigotry, which I found to be idiotic considering they all drove cars which were invented by Yankees, and they all use electricity that was invented by Yankees as well. 
<laughs> this guy is too much. <laughs> yeah. But you never hear anybody complain about that. Kev, this is a typical New Yorker from Nassau County. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. I don't yeah. mean to interrupt your story. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, you and I uh, can relate to this cat. He so probably he... mentioned that the bagels. <laughs> yeah, he was probably going in for some locks and a schmear of cream cheese. But he goes, he goes on to say, it's a crying shame that even church-going people cannot love their fellow man. Nevertheless, we found some beautiful country down there and decided to pull a trigger on a move. There was no way that we could get hurt financially by making a purchase in that region, and we settled on buying a beautiful older home that sat on 50 acres, including an apple orchard. We started to get real accustomed to this quiet style of living, and it was a drastic change, but we liked it all the same. We found a nice church and gradually tried to wiggle our way into some community activities and events. Over a period of about two years, we established a couple of good friendships, the strongest of them being my neighbor, Ted. Now, Ted was a real country gentleman, and he knew that I was head over heels in love with the wildlife around us. So he suggested that I put up a deer feeder in order to bring the deer into the property on a regular basis. He said that the only drawback would be that it also might attract some bears, but if we hung the feeder high enough, it shouldn't be a problem. On one beautiful Saturday afternoon, Ted and I set about assembling my feeder, having gone shopping for all the necessary parts the previous week. Ted's plan was to take a 30-gallon drum and make a chute that the food could move down through. Then we were going to assemble a steel rod through the top of the drum to which we would attach some chain. In turn, this chain was going to be attached to a boat trailer winch, which would extend upward to an overhead cable suspended between two trees, which would help us hoist the feeder off the ground. So this was quite an elaborate uh, feeder setup that they were uh, constructing here. He goes on to say that the whole idea was quite ingenious, since you could lower the drum back down to the ground in order to fill it, while still keeping it out of the reach of any bears. After several hours of work, it was finished, and Ted told me that if I really wanted to have fun, I could buy one or two trail cameras, and by attaching them to the trees in some key places, I could then see what was coming to the feeder. It would also help me to dial in the proper height for the drum. Well, it all sounded great to me, so I purchased two cameras the following week. It was turning out to be quite a lot of fun. I was buying some bulk feed locally and keeping it in one of my barns. And every couple of days, my wife and I would go out and retrieve the data cards from the cameras, heading back into the house to review them. We had seen some black bears trying to get at the food, but they were unable to reach it, just as Ted had said. Even though the cameras only took still shots, it was fun to look through them and see what the animals were up to. Well, this went on for a couple of years, but after a while, it kind of lost its luster. We always saw the same deer doing the same things, and there came a time when we were not retrieving the pictures on a regular basis, looking through them every month or so. Now, I should tell you that a small John Deere tractor came with the house. 
it had a trailer and a grass mower that could be towed behind it. And I used this to cut the grass around the orchard and to bring sacks of feed to the feeder. We had set the feeder up on the edge of the orchard about 200 yards from the house. Ted having said that you don't want to put it too close to the house because of the bears. Well, about three years into residency, I went out to retrieve the camera cards and review them. As was always the case, they were loaded with pictures. There was no shortage of animals, and I was putting hundreds of pounds of food in the feeder on a monthly basis. Much to my surprise, between all the pictures of deer and bears were eight perfect stills of a Bigfoot at my deer feeder. There was no mistaking it. It was gigantic. Judging by the height of the barrel, the Bigfoot was about eight to nine feet tall. In some of the photos, I could see him reaching into the chute with his fingers and grabbing grain, while in other shots, he had his hand to his mouth. I immediately called my wife in so that she could see what I had found, and her face immediately fell into an expression of indiscernible terror, before saying that she couldn't live anymore with that type of monster walking around the house. Oh my God, she said. It could kill us. I called Ted. A little while later, Ted and his wife came over, and after they had seen the footage, Ted seemed surprisingly calm, while saying, Well, 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 my friends, it looks like you have a resident booger. I asked him if he had ever seen such a thing, and he said that he hadn't, but that he knew many others that had. Ted also pointed out that the Bigfoot had probably been in our orchard for many years, eating the fruit while in season, and that we would have never known it, uh, and that we would have never known it was there. Now, it's probably using the feeder to supplement for the fruit when the fruit is all gone. I asked him what we should do, and he said, if I were you, I would leave well enough alone and keep putting the food out. It's obvious that the booger means you no harm. He's just eating. And after they left, my wife and I had a lengthy discussion about this whole booger thing, and she was not a happy camper about the situation. Now, here's where things really get down and dirty. Knowing that this booger was there, I started to take note of some impressions by the feeder over the next couple of months. And judging by both those and the images that continued to appear on the cameras, he was coming to the feeder on a regular basis. In November, my wife and I took a week to visit our northern family and friends for Thanksgiving. And when we told our relatives the Bigfoot story, they fell into an uproarious laughter, being quite the topic to breach among Long Islanders. Sometime during our stay, I realized I had forgotten to fill the feeder before we left for the week. And I don't know why, but it worried me. As with all good things, the week's festivities came to an end all too soon, and we said our goodbyes and headed back south. Upon entering the house, I told my wife that I had to tend to something in the yard. And no sooner had I stepped out of the back door than my eyes set upon a set of doors that had been torn from the barn. The lock class and hinges had been completely ripped off and and carefully, I moved towards the barn. With the doors open, the space was well lit. 
even though the circumstances were bizarre, I wasn't looking into some dark, creepy space or anything like that. As I looked around, I could see... I couldn't see that anything was missing, so I didn't understand why someone would feel the need to break into the barn so violently. A few moments later, I took notice of some feed on the ground, and I saw that the pallet on which the feed sacks had been stored was empty. All four 100-pound sacks that I stored there were gone, and I wondered who would risk jail time for stealing feed. I had come outside to fill the feeder that had so nagged at me while I was on vacation, but now I had nothing to fill it with. So I went back into the house and told my wife to come outside and check out the situation. The two of us started looking around for anything else that may be missing, but we found nothing out of order. Everything that a thief might have snatched was in proper place, and the house was as we had left it. We called the local police to report what had happened, and when the officer arrived, he was mystified as we were about the whole thing. He wondered who would go through the trouble of ripping the locks apart to steal feed and leave all of the valuable stuff untouched, especially since someone could drive in here with a pickup truck and remain unseen. After he wrote up his report and looked around, he left and wished us good luck. I told my wife I was going up to the feeder with the tractor and that I'd be right back. And I couldn't believe my eyes as I approached it. The entire setup of cables and chains had been torn out of the trees with the chute being ripped off from the side of the drum. And everything was thrown all over the place like someone threw a tantrum. It dawned on me that this must all have been the work of the Bigfoot. I went back to the house immediately and called Ted. He hustled over, even though he normally took his time, and I showed him the barn damage and pointed out the missing feed sacks. The two of us then went up to the feeder site, and while there, Ted confirmed my suspicions, saying this was all done by that booger. He had heard of people putting food out and damage being done once they stopped. A deer, he said, would just move on once a food source dries up. But a Bigfoot, and this Bigfoot, had grown accustomed to his snack. And when he found it empty, he must have gotten really angry. Ted also said that he bet it took several days before it actually did the damage, its anger building with every passing day until it all blew. We were all in agreement that I should leave everything as it was. So I left the feeder site trashed and the barn door broken open until winter was over. With no further food available for the eating in the feeder and the apples in the orchard long gone, we were certain that the Bigfoot would move on. I picked up some tracks here and there around the property for the first month or two, but they slowly tapered off and disappeared. We have never se- we had never had another incident around the home and we still live there as of today. Seasonally, I sometimes see a print here or there in the far end of the orchard, so this Bigfoot is still around somewhere, but has never come close to the house again. There you have it. That's an awesome uh, account, Bill. Awesome. I mean, just incredible uh, how it begins... 
with uh, the guy befriending a, a new neighbor and uh, the fellow offering to create this elaborate uh, system for feeding uh, deer that the deer could stand up on their hind legs and eat, but a bear couldn't reach it, I guess. And uh, it was all adjustable with this elaborate cable assembly and a boat winch to hoist it up and down. I mean, this was quite a thing they built there. No, it is spectacular. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, and interesting, too. Point how, invention. Yeah. Uh, uh, interesting, too, how this guy had like a sixth sense about him while up back up here on the island on Thanksgiving that, uh-oh, I forgot to fill the feeder. And uh, when he went back, uh, what he saw was obviously uh, totally unexpected. I can't believe that he got his wife to stick around for that long right well, after that. You know, what are you going to do? You know, no, I, I mean, that's true. It's you a know, practical you, aspect of you there. Yeah, you're committed to your marriage. And, you know, over time, she may have raised Cain. Uh, about staying there, but she voiced her opinion that I don't feel good about this. No doubt about it. I mean, and we were we were talking about the uh, smartphones and uh, the you know the plethora of smartphones out there now in society and the ability to capture additional footage, potential footage of Bigfoot, the hairy man. But you know, you bring up a good point in this account too. Just those trail cameras. I mean, a lot of my neighbors have them, and they're always sharing on social media. You know, like a lot of my friends have chickens. You know, in a chicken coop where they get eggs to eat, and uh, they're always catching. You know, these fox on the on the trail cams that they have set up, looking at the chicken coop. Yeah. And you know, I'm, now I'm kind of sitting here thinking, like, hey, maybe. Maybe one of these folks in the more rural parts of the area will uh, be able to share a picture of the hairy man on these trail cameras. Well, listen, uh, here we have another case uh, of a fella not willing to show his footage. He shared yep. them with, with who knows how many people he shared them with. And, of course, his neighbor, Ted, uh, who he wanted to show uh, uh, in particular what was coming around the feeder. Uh, and a Ted, of course, calling it a booger, which is a typical Southern uh, name for the Bigfoot. Uh, I've heard that many, many times, the booger. Uh, but here's a guy who doesn't want nothing to do with uh, showing you the pictures or having anybody trace them back to him. He saw what he saw. He knows what he saw. He knows what happened. And he really doesn't care what you think about it. No, no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, we continue to see all these different creatures on these trail cams. Again, another one of my neighbors uh, has one out in their yard, and they were just sharing probably a week ago photos of an albino deer that's been mm. roaming into their yard, which, you know, if, if no one had ever seen an albino deer and then they told someone about it, um, you know, the experts would say, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, how yeah. could you have a deer that's pure white? Yeah, yep. No. It's funny you mention that, Kev. I saw an albino deer up the block from my house maybe two years ago. Mm. And it was at night. There was other deer with it. Uh, it was virtually white, but there was some bleedings in the fur of that, uh, the reddish color, that okay. rust, the rust color. Uh, but when I say it was 98% white with hints here and there of like 
hairs, actual hairs of red. Uh, and I was blown away by it because you look at it like I can't believe what I'm seeing. And, you know, when I f- told my buddy Danny about it, who's Mr. Hunter, he immediately wanted to know where it was so he could have a shot at it. <laughs> he wanted to bring it to the taxidermist. <laughs> so, uh, but that is crazy. Well, I hope the folks enjoyed that story because that is really one for the ages. And, of course, your story about... Uh, uh, Crockett's letter. I mean, that just freaking spun my brain it's pretty uh, wild, like, yeah. like nothing else. You know, now I'm wondering is, uh, was the letter legit? You know, but. Yeah, I'm going to keep looking into it too, see if I can find any additional information. And of course, our listeners out there, if you, like we always say, if you see something, say something. And if you've seen something about Crockett's encounter, send it our way on the website. Yeah, Bill, no i got to come back to one point on your account that you just read, though. I mean, did Hank actually say when he was in West Virginia that he was surprised that everyone couldn't just love one another and get along with one another? <laughs> yeah, unlike Nassau County, when everybody is just lovey-dovey. <laughs> I mean, I was sitting here, and a lot of our listeners won't appreciate it, but, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Some of my best friends are from Nassau County. But they would never say that everyone in Nassau County loves one another and gets along with one another. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, he was probably fabricating some type of dream retirement in in which he and his wife would move to this, you know, uh, place where there's uh, street parties going on and people baking pies for each other and <laughs> You know, when he got down there, somebody was chasing him in an old Ford pickup truck with a sawed-off shotgun, and his dream, his, his dream came undone. All right, that's a logical explanation. I, I get that. I, was just, I listened to the whole account, you know, for the first time, for me too, and I'm, I'm there. I'm yeah. like, wait a minute. Okay, the booger eating corn out of the deer feeder, I'm fine with that. Everybody getting along with one another in Nassau County? Come on now. <laughs> yeah, somebody somebody cutting in front of you in the line in a bagel store and you shove a shim into his back. <laughs> That'll teach you. <laughs> All right, Kev. So what do we got coming in on our listener mail today? Yeah, we got some great listener mail from all over the place, as uh, is becoming typical. So we start out up in Canada Mm -hmm. uh, from Lance in Prince Edward Island, PEI, up in Canada. And he writes, your show and your input is invaluable to the cause. And there's nothing wrong with having a little fun along the way, as the two of you aptly do. I have yet to see a creature but I have most definitely run across a few tree structures over the past 10 years. They are out there. Regards, Lance. Awesome. Kev, where exactly is Prince Edward Island? That's up off the, is that up off the coast of uh, Pretty British far Columbia? Pretty north um, and, and uh, on the eastern side of Canada. P-E-I. Okay. Wow, that's freaking incredible, man. It's supposed and to be a really beautiful place. I, I have not been up there. I've been around a lot of parts of Canada. It's on the list, but I haven't been up there yet. But I have eaten a lot of mussels from Prince Edward Island. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, as a good. matter of fact, uh, that's where uh, the uh, seafood shop over by me gets them from. You're right. There you go. Oh, no, they're they're very good. No, they're delicious. And So, so Bill, here- tell it. 
tell us about some of these tree structures. You know, so I'm I'm not an expert, and uh, but I know I've heard you talk about them in the past, and some of our listeners might want to know more about them. Yeah, well, it seems uh, that a lot of people run across these what they call tree structures in areas that Bigfoot frequent. And really what we're talking about is a stacking or leaning of a variety of trees together to form like a teepee type of structure. But they're they're not open. They're not meant to be habitated. In other words, there's not an entrance to it like a teepee. But they're rather, they seem to be like a, a marker or like a milepost or something. Of course, we're guessing. But Oh, yeah. I mean, People. it could be like a, a navigation marker or some kind of territorial marker. Yeah, and, and we don't know. But the odd thing is that a number of people have taken note of the fact that trees in some of these structures were not from the surrounding area. In other words, like in, if you and I, Kev, hiked in the woods and we wanted to prank we might pick up dead trees that whatever we could find within, say, I don't know, a 200-foot radius and yeah. drag them over and lean them together and stack them up. But numbers of people have said that there were trees in the structure that were from, you know, quite a distance away, and they're heavy. Yeah. So why would hikers or hunters go through the trouble and the labor To set something up in a place where next to nobody comes through to see it uh, as a prank. No, it makes no sense. I mean, in fact, even when you said 200 feet, I was thinking like 30 feet. Yeah, I mean, come (laughs) on. Dragging trees around is no fun. Let's just say you have a four-foot diameter tree that's 25, 30 feet long. What do you think that weighs? Oh, I mean, four, you said four foot? No, four. I meant to say four-inch diameter. Let's keep it oh. small. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be 100 pounds or more, right? I, exactly. So yeah. are you going to go schlepping 30 trees, uh, you know, 100 no. yards to, to bring them to— In the middle to, of nowhere just for fun? Yeah, yeah. That's, it just doesn't make sense. No, it makes no sense at all. So— all right. Well, and th- I can't think of another creature that would do that either. But yeah, no, I mean a bear isn't going to carry a no, tree they're not, over. They're not big on that. Yeah, you know, unless he was Yogi Bear, <laughs> looking for a picnic basket. Yeah. Hey, Boo Boo, got any picnic baskets? <laughs> All right. Thank you, Lance, for chiming in with us. And by the All way, right. if you see anything, you do make sure you get back to us, Lance. No doubt about it, Lance. And keep those muscles coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Bill, now we go to Germany. Ah, Achtung! <laughs> From Evan in Hessen, Germany. Uh, wow. Okay, Evan. He says, great show and most enjoyable. I have all of your books as well as two of your new audios. I can't get enough of what you're doing, and your podcast is one of the most creative endeavors I have ever heard. Wow. Yeah, pretty good accolades. Yeah, no, Either we... that or Irvin doesn't listen to much. <laughs> <laughs> well, Continued uh, success to you both. Do you have any German heritage? Ah! ah. He, 
He must have heard my German accent when we were talking about Werner. <laughs> Maybe he knows you are a Luftwaffe pilot. <laughs> well, actually, our uh, on our grandmother's uh, side of the family, uh, and actually uh, grandpa as well, they were from the area of uh, Austria-Hungary. Uh, and I remember uh, Pop, Kev. I don't know if you recall Pop calling Grandma Shotzi. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think um, Mom and Dad told me Shotzi meant like lover girl or something like that. Or I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I forget what it meant, but they told me, and it wasn't a flattering thing. <laughs> oh, it wasn't. <laughs> what did it mean, like slave girl? What, what, what are you talking about here? Our sister knows what it meant, but I don't remember what, I honestly don't remember, but it wasn't, uh, like yeah. there was a little twist to it, like, like it's true in our family. <laughs> oh my God, it wasn't moment. flattering. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't completely flattering. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe yeah, it but, was. But she, yes, definitely uh, grandma was from, uh, Hungary, mm-hmm. um, which again back then was part of uh, the German motherland. Certainly, so, it was uh, all Germanic. Yeah, we definitely have that part of our uh, heritage is definitely uh, from Germany. Yeah, Kevin, you remember uh, in in uh, Queens back then? That was a big Germanic community in there. Absolutely, Queens, New York, and uh, we certainly ate. A lot of strudel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And babka. <laughs> and in fact, Bill, you know, you're you're older than me, so you may be able to confirm this. But I remember when uh, that grandmother of ours passed away. You know, I think she was like 98 years old, uh-huh. if I recall correctly. And I heard she passed away making strudel at the kitchen table. Wow. Now, yeah. I didn't even hear that. Yeah. yeah that's, so that's what I remember. And. She was strong like a bull. Yeah, well, I remember uh, a short while uh, before she passed, uh, we went in to visit her, uh, and she put down three sh- about three shots of straight scotch in one blast <laughs> right down the hatch. <laughs> I remember that. Too. And I said to myself, and you know, she used to always come, when she used to come to sleep over our house when we were younger and our sister was younger, she used to always make uh, German coffee or Irish coffee for Pat. And, of course, uh, there was a blast of whiskey in there with some whipped cream or something else. It was something nasty. <laughs> and, and this was this was breakfast. <laughs> Giddy up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Giddy up is right. Hey, we should all do it if we make it to 98. Oh, yeah. my goodness. She might have had something right there. Yeah, maybe it was some type of uh, elixir for uh, longevity. Well, I don't know. All right, well, next one. Thank you, uh, Irvin. Uh, yes. Uh, so now we come back uh, close to you, Bill, from Ernest in Dutchess County, New York. Okay. So Dutchess County, that's upstate kind of? Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I know I've heard of it, but I'm trying to place it. Yep. Uh, he's probably by, he's, the, uh, he's probably by the uh, Appalachian Mountains. Exactly. Well, he actually says here, I have heard the howls on the Appalachian Trail. Wow. And I believe I sighted a Bigfoot walking up a slope at a great distance several years back while hiking. The amount of evidence is overwhelming with an exclamation point. Mm -hmm. When will they learn? Yeah. 
I assume he means the skeptics. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Uh, I've been kicking around uh, 9.5 million square miles of wilderness uh, in North America. And I believe there is about 11 or 12 million square acres of wilderness just in New York State. So really remarkable and not surprising uh, the accounts that come out of uh, our home state, New York, uh, and the fact that this fellow, uh, Ernest, uh, says he's heard howls up there and believes he saw one at a distance uh, is no surprise or shock to me whatsoever. Yeah, pretty pretty cool. So, wow. Uh, Ernest, keep hunting for them, and that Appalachian Trail is spectacular, so stay Fantastic. out there. Fantastic. All right, and our last email comes from Lydia in Denmark. I don't have a Danish accent, so sorry. Okay. <laughs> Lydia says that she stumbled on our podcast in the oddest of fashion, and I'm hooked. May the two of you enjoy long life and many more podcasts to come. God bless Lydia. Wow, I, I want to know, Lydia, what was exactly the oddest of fashion that you yeah. on our podcast? <laughs> we could do a podcast on that. Yeah, <laughs> that could be in our other oddities segment. <laughs> odd, odd ways to come across Bigfoot terror in the woods, sightings and encounters. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic, and thanks a lot, Uh just a, a simple little hello like that really means a lot to us. Uh, and the fact that you just took a moment out of your day to tell us that is, uh, it just warms my heart. You know, we're having a lot of fun here and we're glad that you're enjoying it. Uh, so tell a friend and uh, help us grow our listenership and uh, buy a book, send it to uh, a friend of yours uh, or read it yourself and you'll be doing us uh, a great service. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, great letters, uh, great emails, I should say. And, um, you know, we see the stats of how many folks are listening and how many new folks listen every day. And it's fantastic. And we thank all of you. We know you have a choice in, uh, in what you do. And time is so valuable. But as my brother said, we'd love to hear from you as well. It's fantastic. So Excellent. thank you. Excellent. And my friends, until we meet again, remember, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.